0: From
1: he atop well, the lowest state federal building, colossal, oh. <laughs> hey. yeah. Tales of intrigue, adventure, and the mysterious occult that will stir your imagination and make your very blood run cold. Is dark Adventure Radio Theater with your host, Chester Langfield. Today's episode H.P. Lovecraft's The Dunwich Horror.
2: The hills of western Massachusetts contain dark and terrible secrets. Strange families keep to themselves and practice rites of ancient and unspeakable black magic. These dreadful and unholy rituals give birth to a monstrosity beyond imagination, a monstrosity that threatens mankind itself. Can a brave handful of intrepid scholars hope to confront the otherworldly destruction of the Dunwich Horror? But first, a word from our sponsor. When I sit down to enjoy a meal, the first thing I do is light up a fleur-de-lis cigarette. Not only do they enhance the taste of food, fleur-de-lis aid in the digestive process. Our cigarettes are made from finer, costlier tobaccos than other brands, providing you with the very best in freshness and flavor. So for the sake of digestion during and after meals, be sure to smoke fleur-de-lis. And now, Dark Adventure Radio Theater presents... H.P. Lovecraft's The Dunwich Horror.
0: When a traveler in north central Massachusetts takes the wrong fork at the junction of Aylesbury Pike just beyond Dean's Corners, he comes upon a lonely and curious country. The ground gets higher and the briar-bordered stone walls press closer and closer against the ruts of the dusty, curving road. At the same time, the planted fields appear singularly few and barren while the sparsely scattered houses wear a surprisingly uniform aspect of age, squalor, and dilapidation. Without knowing why, one hesitates to ask directions from the gnarled, solitary figures spied now and then on crumbling doorsteps. Those figures are so silent and furtive that one feels somehow confronted by forbidden things. When a rise in the road brings the mountains in view above the deep woods, the feeling of strange uneasiness is increased. The summits are too rounded and symmetrical to give a sense of naturalness, and sometimes the sky silhouettes the queer circles of tall stone pillars with which most of them are crowned. Across a covered bridge one sees a small village, huddled between the stream and the vertical slope of Round Mountain, and wonders at the cluster of rotting gambrel roofs, speaking an earlier architectural period than that of the neighboring region. One dreads to trust the tenebrous tunnel of the bridge, yet there is no way to avoid it. Once across, it's hard to prevent the impression of a faint malign odor about the village street, as of the massed mold and decay of centuries. It is always a relief to get clear of the place, and follow the narrow road around the base of the hills until it rejoins the Aylesbury Pike. Afterwards, one sometimes learns that one has been through Dunwich. Outsiders visit Dunwich as seldom as possible, sometimes without really knowing why. Old legends speak of unhallowed rites and conclaves of the Indians, amidst which they called forbidden shapes of shadow out of the great rounded hills, and made wild orgiastic prayers that were answered by loud crackings and rumblings from the ground below. Other traditions tell of foul odors near the hill-crowning circles of stone pillars, while still others try to explain the Devil's hopyard, a bleak, blasted hillside where no tree, shrub or grass blade will grow. It was in the township of Dunwich, in a large and partly inhabited farmhouse set against a hillside four miles from the village, that Wilbur Whateley was born at 5 a.m. on Sunday, the 2nd of February, 1913. He was an unusual child, and his birth brought on much gossip at Osborne's General Store.
3: Morning, Zebulon. What's the news? George, this Corey. I hear tell that Lavinia, Whateley's albino girl, done birth to a child.
4: Oh, she did. Mamie Bishop told me. Delivered it all alone, without a doctor or a midwife. The poor creature.
5: Creature is right. Pink eyes, that crinkly hair. I seen that Lavinia babbling to herself and running about the hills at night without a stitch of clothes on. The woman's half monster and half lunatic. No offense, Ab, I know she's your kin. She's at the decayed
3: side of the Waitley family. Breeding amongst themselves. Say what you like. They ain't hardly my kin at all.
4: Mamie says the child's a strange one. A dark, gorgeous looking thing. Big, too. There's no father around. Lord only knows who it was. You
5: can confettiate from around, dear.
4: It's scandalous.
5: Hush. Here comes old wizard Waitley now.
0: Well, speak of the devil.
5: We was just talking, Waitley. We heard your Lavinia birthed her child. That's it,
6: done.
4: Well... Congratulations! Uh, Are they well, the mother and child?
6: They be fine.
4: A boy, is it?
6: Aye.
4: Oh, good. Does uh, the child take after Lavinia or the father?
6: If Lavinia's boy looked like his pa, he wouldn't look nothing you'd expect. You needn't think the only folks is the folks hereabouts. I calculate her man is as good a husband as you can find this side of Aylesbury, And if you know as much about the hills as I do, you wouldn't ask no better church wedding. Let me tell you something. Someday you folks will hear a child of love a calling its father's name on the top of Sentinel Hill. That's a curious prophecy, Waitley. You'll see. You'll see, all right.
4: Are you all right, Mr. Waitley? Do you need a drink of water?
6: I need to buy more cattle. If you or other folks got them to sell, bring them up to the farm. Walk come over
3: him? And what's he need more cattle for? My boy Curtis just sold him too. He's already got a herd of cows, skinny and bloodless looking things.
4: Oh, that old man always frightened me. But I'd say something's got him frightened.
0: In the spring after Wilbur's birth, Lavinia resumed her customary rambles in the hills, bearing the swarthy child in her pale arms. Public interest in the Whateleys subsided after most of the country folk had seen the baby, and no one bothered to comment on the swift development which that newcomer seemed every day to exhibit. Wilbur's growth was indeed phenomenal, for within three months of his birth he had attained a size and muscular power not usually found in infants under a full year of age. His motions and even his vocal sounds showed a restraint and deliberateness highly peculiar in an infant. And no one was really surprised when, at seven months, he began to walk unassisted, with falterings which another month was sufficient to remove. Naturally, the gossip continued.
5: Quite a blaze last night up there on Sentinel
7: Hill. Hey.
4: And on Halloween, too. I bet those waitleys were behind it. Morning, Silas.
7: I seen that Lavinia and her boy heading up there about an hour before the fire started.
4: Going up the hill at night?
7: I was looking for a stray heifer, and I seen them with my lantern running up the hill.
4: Running? That boy's not even a year old yet. She was buck naked. Ooh. They both were!
5: Uh, huh! Whenever I see that boy, he's always buttoned up tight. He gets downright
7: cantankerous if he thinks someone might moss up his clothes. Uh-huh. Well, I suppose the little fella may have had on some kind of a fringed belt and have had dark trunks or trousers on. Twas a queer sight. That's the ugliest child I ever seen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you've seen how the dogs hate him. They can't stand that boy. Don't blame him. That boy don't look like no child I ever saw. You get the feeling he's watching you, Mm -hmm. taking
3: everything in with them big eyes. Uh,
5: Looks like a goat with those long ears.
4: Oh, he's a weighty. He hardly got a chin at all, and and he's got his mother's horrid, crinkly hair. Uh And
3: the way he talks, he doesn't sound like any child I ever heard. He talks like a man. Mm -hmm.
4: There's something wrong about him, and that's a fact.
5: I'll tell you what's wrong. It's the grandfather, old Waitley doing his black magic up there on Sentinel Hill. Mm-hmm. Oh, I seen him up there with his old books a-shrieking about the Yog sothoth and such devil talk. That boy's the Lord's punishment for that family's evil ways. No offense, Ab. None
3: taken.
0: Months passed, and Earl Sawyer... Paid a visit to the Whateley place.
8: waitley
6: Whateley, are you in there? Earl <sighs> oh, Sawyer! What brings ye here?
8: I came to collect the money for the cattle.
6: Oh, aye. Follow
8: me. You must be doing a fair bit of slaughtering. What makes you ask a thing like that? You keep buying cows, but I'd swear your hurt and never gets any bigger. Seems like that, hey?
6: Best not to trouble yourself about it, Sawyer.
8: Making some repairs to the old place, huh? Eh? Seems like you've been working away
6: up here since young Wilbur was born. Aye,
8: got to make preparations. You used to keep that old tool house locked up tight. You emptied it out, huh? Ye could say that. And you boarded the upstairs windows up? Aye, that I did. Is that some kind of ramp you've put in there leading to the upstairs?
6: Aye. What for? Come in, Sawyer. Don't be a stranger. You know my girl, Lavinia.
4: Aye. <laughs> we be acquainted.
6: Don't you stand there. Get I get some tea. Oh. And this be my grandson, Willie. Willie, this be Earl Sawyer. He owns the next farm over. Hello, Willie. I'll get you the money. That sure is a big old book you have there. What are you reading?
9: It's Petrus Aponius' Astronomicum Caesarium. Oh. It's astronomy treatise.
6: Here's your money, Sawyer.
8: I always meant to ask you, where do you get these old gold coins? It's an abundance of questions you're having.
4: Your tea? (laughs) Looks
8: like a regular library in here
6: with all these nice shelves you've put in. Aye, the books is for the boy. I made some use of them, but the boy's fitting to make better use of them. He ought to have them as well so as he can, for they're going to be all of his learning. I see. Something wrong? No, I I just... Do you smell something strange? Levinnie makes her own tea. No, I, I think it's coming from behind this door. Don't you mind that door. It'd be locked for a reason. What was that? You got to go, Sawyer. I reckon it's time for ye to go.
0: The following month seemed quiet, save for a slow but steady increase in the mysterious hill noises. Wilbur was growing up uncannily, so that he looked like a boy of ten as he entered his fourth year. He read avidly by himself now, but talked much less than formerly. A settled taciturnity was absorbing him, And for the first time, people began to speak specifically of the dawning look of evil in his goatish face. He would sometimes mutter an unfamiliar jargon and chant in bizarre rhythms which chilled the listener with a sense of unexplainable terror. The aversion displayed towards him by dogs had now become a matter of wide remark, and he was obliged to carry a pistol in order to traverse the countryside in safety. For a decade the annals of the Whateleys sank indistinguishably into the general life of a morbid community used to their queer ways and hardened to their May, Eve, and All Hallows orgies. Twice a year they would light fires on the top of Sentinel Hill, at which times the mountain rumblings would recur with greater and greater violence, while at all seasons there were strange and portentous doings at the lonely farmhouse. When the need for men to fight in the Great War of 1917 brought new attention to the country folk, the Boston Globe and Arkham Advertiser printed flamboyant Sunday stories of young Wilbur's precociousness, old Whateley's black magic in the shelves of strange books, the sealed second story of the ancient farmhouse, and the weirdness of the whole region and its hill noises. About 1923, when Wilbur was a boy of ten, whose mind, voice, stature, and bearded face all gave the impressions of maturity, A second great siege of carpentry went on at the old house.
4: Oh, good afternoon, Mr. Waitley. Mrs. Corey.
6: Mr. Corey.
4: Uh, Hello, Wilbur.
6: Ma'am.
5: Fetch our vittles, boy. Earl Sawyer tells me you've been working up a storm at your place, Waitley. What are you doing to it now? Making room. An addition? Earl Sawyer said it looked more like you were gutting the inside, taking some of the walls out. Aye, that we did. And the upstairs floor? We cleared it out too. Oh. And you pulled the chimney down? Demolished. Me and Willie. Aye. So now you just got plenty of open space on the
6: inside?
4: George? Aye,
6: plenty. What for? I. <laughs> <coughs> I'm. I'm dying.
4: Oh, don't say such a thing.
6: The whippoorwills, they come up out of cold spring glen to chirp under my window at night. They lie in wait for the souls of the dying. If they can catch the fleeing soul as it leaves the body, they flutter away and laugh to beat the devil. They whistle just in tune with my breathing now, and I guess they're getting ready to catch my soul. They know it's a-going out, and don't calculate to miss it. I expect them and the souls they hunts for have some pretty tough tussles. Sometimes.
0: Waitley had prophesied before, and he saw his end coming. On Lammas Night, 1924, Wilbur urgently summoned a physician from Aylesbury.
2: Mr. Waitley, I'm Dr. Houghton. I came as quickly as I could.
9: Enter. He's over here. He fell unconscious earlier tonight. How long ago? Maybe four hours now. I see...
2: Who are you?
4: Lavinia. His daughter.
2: What's that sound? The water. It's not good. It's not good, I'm afraid. Sounds like pneumonia.
4: Look! He's waking up!
6: More space, Willie. More space soon. You grow, and that grows faster. It'll be ready to serve you soon, boy. Open up the gates to yog with a long chant that you'll find on page 751 of the Complete Edition, and then put a match to the prison. Fire from Earth can't burn it no how.
2: He's delusional, the fever. Uh,
6: feed it regular, Willie, and mind the quantity. But don't let it grow too fast for the place, for if it bursts quarters or gets out of for it, he opens to yog it's all over and no use. Only them from beyond can make it multiply and work. Only them, the the old ones that want to
2: come back. We should let him... He's gone. My my condolences. (laughs) They didn't get him. I'm sorry?
9: The Whippoorwills. They didn't catch his soul. Wilbur was by this
0: time a scholar of tremendous erudition and was quietly known by correspondence to many librarians in distant places where rare and forbidden books of old are kept. He was more and more hated and dreaded around Dunwich because of certain disappearances which suspicion laid vaguely at his door but was always able to silence inquiry through fear or through the use of that fund of old-time gold which still went forth regularly for cattle buying. He was now tremendously mature of aspect in 1925, when Professor Henry Armitage, a scholarly correspondent from Miskatonic University, called upon him one day and departed pale and puzzled, he was fully six and three-quarters feet tall. Through all the years, Wilbur had treated his half-deformed albino mother with a growing contempt, finally forbidding her from going to the hills with him on May Eve and Hallow Mass. And in 1926, Lavinia herself turned up in Osborne's store.
4: So I says to him, That ain't no ordinary chicken. Well, Lividia Waipley. What brings you to town? Are you all right? Mrs. Corey. Miss Bishop. He ain't here, is he? Uh, who? You mean Wilbur? No, he hasn't been here today. What's wrong? The boy's turned against me. I don't understand him no more. Wilbur's always been an unusual young man. There's more about him as I knows than I can tell ye, Mamie. And nowadays there's more nor what I know myself. I vow for God I don't know what he wants nor what he's a-trying to do. You're safe in here with us, dear. I'm not safe!
10: None of us is.
4: She looks scared half to death. Waitless.
0: That Halloween, the hill noises sounded louder than ever, and fire burned on Sentinel Hill as usual, but people paid more attention to the rhythmical screaming of vast flocks of unnaturally belated whippoorwills, which seemed to be assembled near the unlighted Waitley farmhouse. After midnight, their shrill notes burst into a kind of pandemoniac cachinnation which filled the countryside, and not until dawn did they finally quiet down. Then they vanished. What this meant, no one could be quite certain until later. None of the country folk seemed to have died, but poor Lavinia Whateley, the twisted albino, was never seen again. The following winter brought Wilbur's first trip outside the Dunwich region. Correspondence with the Widener Library at Harvard, the Bibliothèque Nationale in Paris, the British Museum, the University of Buenos Aires, and the Library of Miskatonic University at Arkham had failed to get him the loan of a book he desperately wanted. So at length he set out in person, shabby, dirty, bearded and uncouth of dialect, to consult the copy at Miskatonic, which was the nearest to him. Almost eight feet tall and carrying a cheap new valise from Osborne's general store, this dark and goatish gargoyle appeared one day in Arkham in quest of the dreaded volume kept under lock and key at the college library. The hideous Necronomicon of the mad Arab Abdul Al-Hazred, in Olas Vermius's Latin version, as printed in Spain in the 17th century. He had never seen a city before, but had no thought save to find his way to the university grounds.
9: Do you attend school here? Yes. Where is your library?
11: Or library. It's that building over there.
9: Stay back, dog.
11: May I
12: help you?
9: I've come to consult a book.
12: Did you check the card catalog? It's a
9: rare book. The Necronomicon. You'd
12: have to make an arrangement with Professor Armitage first. It's very
9: important. I have traveled... Is there a
12: problem here? Professor, this man... Mr. Wheatley, I
9: presume. Aye. How do you know my name? I received
13: your letters. I'm Dr. Henry Armitage. We met a few years ago on your farm in Dunwich. You're not a person one soon forgets. Aye.
9: Ye came a-calling.
13: Why don't you come with me to the Special Collections Room? Did you take the bus from Dunwich?
9: Aye. And I brought along Dr. D's version of the Necronomicon that my grandfather bequeathed me. You're
13: carrying a copy of the Necronomicon with you? Now?
9: Aye. It's in my valise.
13: Uh, We can work in here. Mind your head. You wrap it in a newspaper?
9: Didn't want no pages to fall out. You have the Vermius translation in Latin, yes? We keep it locked in here. You keep the keys? I do. My copy's in English, but like I wrote you, I reckon the translation's bad or missing in places. See here, on page 751... What exactly
13: are you looking for, Mr. Waitley?
9: Ye can call me Wilbur. Let me see this one. You were saying? There be a formula, appertaining to Yog sathoth I'm figuring there's some ambiguities in the way Dr. D's rendered it into English.
13: Shall I read from the Vermius, while you compare it to the D version?
9: Ye have proficiency in the Latin?
13: certe. Nor is it to be thought that man is either the oldest or the last of Earth's masters, or that the common bulk of life and substance walks alone. The old ones were, the old ones are... And the old ones shall be, not in the spaces we know, but between them. They walk serene and primal, undimensioned and to us unseen. Yagsathath knows the gate. Yagsathath is the gate. Yagsathath is the key and guardian of the gate. Past, present, future, all are one in Yagsathath. He knows where the old ones broke through of old and where they shall break through again. He knows where they had trod earth's fields, and where they still tread them, and why no one can behold them as they tread. By their smell can men sometimes know them near, but of their semblance can no man know, saving only in the features of those they have begotten on mankind. And of those there are many sorts, differing in likeness from man's truest eidolon to that shape without sight or substance which is them. They walk unseen and foul, lonely places, where the words have been spoken, and the rites howled through at their seasons. The wind is with their voices, and the earth mutters with their consciousness. They bend the forest and crush the city, yet may not forest and city behold the hand that smites. Kadath and the cold waste hath known them. And what man knows Kadath? The ice desert of the south, and the sunken isles of ocean hold stones whereupon their seal is engraven. But who hath seen the deep frozen city or the sealed tower long garlanded with seaweed and barnacles? Great Cthulhu is their cousin, yet can he spy them only dimly? Ye shall. Needings
9: be- read that name aloud.
13: No. Of course not. <clears throat> As a foulness shall ye know them. Their hand is at your throats, yet ye see them not. And their habitation is even worn with your guarded threshold. Yog is the key to the gate whereby the spheres meet. Man rules now where they ruled once. They shall soon rule where man rules now. After summer is winter after winter is summer. They wait, patient and potent. For here shall they reign again.
0: Dr. Armitage, associating the text with what he had heard of Dunwich and its brooding presences, and of Wilbur Whateley and his dim, hideous aura, felt a wave of fright as tangible as a draft of the tomb's cold clamminess. The bent, goatish giant before him seemed like the spawn of another planet or dimension, like something only partly of mankind and linked to black gulfs of essence and entity that stretched like titan phantasms beyond all spheres of force and matter, space
9: and time. Mr. Armitage... I calculate I've got to take that book home. There's things in it I've got to try under certain conditions that I can't get here, and it would be a mortal sin to let a red tape rule hold me up. but there
13: are only three known copies of this book in the world. I couldn't possibly let you take it away from here.
9: Let me take it along, sir. I swear there wouldn't nobody know the difference. I don't need to tell you I'll take good care of it. It weren't me that put this D copy in the shape. No, I'm
13: sorry. Absolutely not. It's simply not possible.
9: I can make it worth your while.
13: There are things that cannot be bought, Wilbur.
9: I'll have to get this book one way or another, Mr. Armitage. No,
13: Mr. Waitley. No, you won't.
9: Well, all right. If you feel that way about it, maybe Harvard won't be so fussy as you be.
0: Armitage studied Waitley's gorilla-like lope as he crossed the bit of campus visible from the window. He thought of the wild tales he had heard, and recalled the old stories in the advertiser, these things and the lore he had picked up from Dunwich rustics and villagers during his one visit there. Unseen things not of earth rushed fetid and horrible through New England's glens, and brooded obscenely on the mountaintops, of this he had long felt certain. Now he seemed to sense the close presence of some terrible part of the intruding horror, and to glimpse a hellish advance in the black dominion of the ancient and once passive nightmare. He locked away the Necronomicon with a shudder of disgust, but the room still reeked with an unholy and unidentifiable stench. As a foulness shall ye know them. During the ensuing weeks, Dr. Armitage set about to collect all possible data on Wilbur Whateley and the formless presences around Dunwich. He got in communication with Dr. Houghton of Aylesbury and found much to ponder over in the Grandfather's last words as quoted by the Physician. A visit to Dunwich Village failed to bring out much that was new, but a close survey of the Necronomicon, in those parts which Wilbur had sought so avidly, seemed to supply new and terrible clues to the nature, methods, and desires of the strange evil, so vaguely threatening this planet. Talks with several students of archaic lore in Boston, and letters to many others elsewhere, gave him a growing amazement which passed slowly through varied degrees of alarm to a state of really acute spiritual fear. As the summer drew on he felt dimly that something ought to be done about the lurking terrors of the upper Miskatonic Valley and about the monstrous being known to the human world as Wilbur Whateley. The Dunwich Horror itself came between Lammas and the Equinox in 1928 and Dr. Armitage was among those who witnessed its monstrous prologue. He had heard of Whateley's grotesque trip to Cambridge and of his frantic efforts to borrow or copy from the Necronomicon at the Widener Library at Harvard. Those efforts had been in vain since Armitage had issued warnings of the keenest intensity to all librarians having charge of the dreaded volume. In the small hours of August 3rd, Armitage's half-expected fear came to pass at the Orne Library. <coughs>
14: Armitage. What's happened, Professor
8: Rice? Somebody's broken into the library. They must be hurt. Look over there. It's Professor Morgan. Henry, someone's
13: broken a window there. It's Wakely. He's going for the special collection. The Dunwich fellow? The one who wanted He's the... going for the Necronomicon. Here comes old Joe, the night watchman. Joe, what happened? A break in Professor. Shep, my guard dog, has someone cornered in there. Joe, keep these people back. Professor Rice, Professor Morgan, come with me. Look out for Shell. The alarm switch is over here. Listen. This way. In here.
8: What's that stench? Henry, switch on the lights. Oh, good God in heaven!
0: (gasps) Bits of shoe leather and fragments of apparel were scattered about the room, and just inside the window an empty canvas sack lay where it had evidently been thrown. A revolver with a dented, misfired cartridge lay on the floor near the central desk. The thing that lay half-bent on its side in a fetid pool of greenish-yellow ichor and tarry stickiness was almost nine feet tall, and the dog had torn off all the clothing and some of the skin.
13: What on earth is it? It's not of this earth, Morgan. Well not wholly of this earth anyway.
8: Is that Wilbur Wakeley? What's left of him? I recognize the face, but the rest of it the chest it's
0: like the hide of a crocodile. And the rest It's not human. It was partly human, beyond a doubt with very manlike hands and head and a goatish, chinless face. Above the waist, it was semi-anthropomorphic, though its back was piebald with yellow and black, squamous and snake-like. Below the waist, though, the skin was thickly covered with a coarse black fur, and from the abdomen, a score of long, greenish-gray tentacles with red, sucking mouths protruded limply. On each of the hips, set in a kind of pinkish-ciliated orbit, was what seemed to be a rudimentary eye. There descended a kind of trunk or feeler with purple annular markings and with many evidences of being an undeveloped mouth or throat. The limbs, save for their black fur, roughly resembled the hind legs of prehistoric Earth's giant saurians and terminated in ridgy veined pads that were neither hooves nor claws. Of genuine blood there was none, only the fetid greenish-yellow ichor which trickled along the painted floor. When the thing breathed, its tail and tentacles rhythmically changed color as if from some circulatory cause normal to the non-human greenish tinge, whilst in the tail it was manifest as a yellowish appearance which alternated with a sickly grayish white in the spaces between the purple rings.
8: How could this monstrosity have walked the streets unchallenged?
13: It's moving! It's trying to speak. Oh Wilba.
9: Oh. Ngog Bung Shagog Yog Yog Henry,
13: people are coming towards the window. No one should see this. Joe, keep those people back. No one is to enter the library except the police and the medical examiner.
11: All right, everyone, step. Here.
13: draw the curtains henry warren look at this it's disintegrating frightful changes
0: were taking place on the floor aside from the external appearance of face and hands the really human element in wilbur Whateley must have been very small when the medical examiner came there was only a sticky whitish mass on the painted boards and the monstrous odor had nearly disappeared apparently Whateley had had no skull or bony skeleton He had taken somewhat after his unknown father. Yet all this was only prologue. It was in the dark of September 9th that the real Dunwich horror broke loose. Mrs. Corey, rising early at her farm on the 10th, noticed something had changed.
4: Oh, what is that god-awful smell? Luther! Luther! Luther, what's the matter? Up there on the road beyond the glen, Mrs. Corey.
11: There's something's been there.
4: Luther Brown, what are you talking about?
11: All the bushes and little trees is pushed back from the road like a whole house had moved along it. And that ain't the worst neither. There's prints in the road, Mrs. Corey. Great round prints as big as barrel heads, all sunk down deep like an elephant had been along. Only there's a sight more nor four feet can make. I looked at one or two before I run, and the smell was awful. Like what it is around Wizard Waitley's old house. It smells like... It smells like
4: thunder. Here, you sit down right here. Wrap this around. you. I'll call the bishops. Central. Cora, patch me through to the bishops right away.
10: Silas? No, it's Sally, the housekeeper. Mr. Bishop's out bringing in the herd.
4: Luther says he's seen something up above the gland, like giant footprints.
10: Oh, Lord, Mrs. Corey, my son, Chauncey, had just come galloping in and couldn't have talk for what he'd seen. What was it? Well, he says Old oh, Waitley's house is all blowed up, with timbers scattered round like there'd been dynamite inside, and the bottom floor is all covered with a, a stuff, a kind of like tar, and he says there's awful marks in the yard, too, great round marks, bigger round than a hog's head, and all sticky with stuff like as on the blowed-up house. Well, Chauncey says they leads off into the meadows where a great swath wider than a barn is matted down, and he says he sought to look for Mr. Bishop's cows, and he found them in the upper pasture nigh the devil's hop-yard in an awful shape. Oh, half of 'em's clean gone, and nigh half of them that's left is sucked most dry of blood, with sores on em like Waitley's cattle used to get. Well, Mr Bishop's gone out now to look at them, though I'll vow he won't care to get very near Wizard Waitley's. Oh, well, Chauncey didn't look careful to see where the big matted down swath led after it left the pasturage, but he says he thinks it went towards the Glen Road to the village. Oh, what could have made it? Well, I don't know. But I figure it's something to do with them, Waitley's. Maybe that Wilbur was keepin' something inside that house. Did your Luther take account of where them big tracks led to? Luther, did you see where the big tracks went? I'm uh, not sure. Towards the Glen, maybe? We well, he can't
4: be sure. but Maybe towards the Glen?
10: Well, if they was on the Glen Road this side of the Glen and ain't got over to your house yet, I calculate whatever it is must have gone into the Glen itself. I always says, Cold Spring Glen ain't no healthy nor decent place. Mm, Dear Lord, what do we do? I think as all the men-folks ought to get up a party and do something.
0: By that noon, fully three-quarters of the men and boys of Dunwich were trooping over the roads and meadows between the ruins of the Place and Cold Spring Glen, examining in terror the vast, monstrous prints, the maimed cattle, the strange wreck of the farmhouse, and the bruised, matted vegetation. Whatever had burst loose upon the world had assuredly gone down into the great sinister ravine, for all the trees on the banks were bent and broken, and a great avenue had been gouged in the underbrush. From below, no sound came, but only a distant, undefinable fetter. It's hardly surprising that the men preferred to stay on the edge and argue, rather than descend and confront the unknown Cyclopean horror in its lair. That night, everyone went home, Every house and barn was barricaded as stoutly as possible. Needless to say, no cattle were allowed to remain in open pasturage. About two in the morning, the household at Elmer Fry's awoke.
10: Elmer. Elmer, wake up. The dogs are barking. Get up. Do you smell that?
8: Yes, Selena, I smell it.
10: Sally Sawyer said her boy Chances... Hush, woman, listen. All I hear is the dog.
8: You hear that? sounds like water or waves. I'll light the lantern.
10: I hear it. Almost something's wrong. I'm calling the Corys for help. What is it? It's in the bar. <laughs>
4: Mommy, we're scared. Oh, come <laughs> here, darling.
10: Shh, Ain't no. nothing to be. <laughs> let out! Quiet,
0: everyone! The Fries huddled together in the sitting room, did not dare to move until the last echoes died away far down in Cold Spring Glen. As the sun rose, Selina Fry telephoned to spread what news she could of the second phase of the horror. The next day, all the countryside was in a panic. Cowed, uncommunicative groups came and went where the fiendish thing had occurred. Two titan swaths of destruction stretched from the Glen to the Fry farmyard. Monstrous prints covered the bare patches of ground, and one side of the old red barn had completely caved in. Zebulin,
8: I found another piece over here. Reckon it was a hind quarter. Bones are all busted up. That's still only a quarter of the herd accounted for, Earl. Who's
3: shooting? Elmer. His cows that survived got to be put
8: down. Mad with fear. Hell of a thing. Oh, yeah. Maybe we should phone outside for help, Aylesbury or Arkham. Ain't no use. Who's going to believe this? Outsiders never want to believe
3: what Dunwich really is. What do we do? There's a reason our people once chanted in the great stone circles on the hilltops.
8: What did we chant?
0: Damned if I know. Explorers noted a set of the monstrous tracks in the road skirting Sentinel Hill. As before, the sides of the road showed a bruising indicative of the blasphemously stupendous bulk of the horror. The tracks seemed to suggest a passage in two directions, as if the moving mountain had come from Cold Spring Glen and returned to it along the same path. At the base of the hill, a thirty-foot swath of crushed shrubbery saplings led steeply upwards, and the seekers gasped when they saw that not even the most perpendicular places provide any impediment. Whatever the horror was, it could scale a sheer stony cliff. As the investigators climbed round to the hill's summit by safer routes, they saw that the trail ended, or rather reversed there.
8: Uh, you reckon uh, the thing climbed up here and then just turned round and went back to the glen where it come from? Hey, it looks that way to me.
3: You, you see that table like stone? On May, Eve, and Hallamass. That's where the Waitlings would come up. Chant their hellish rituals. Chauncey, get over here.
5: The altar stone here's got that tarry stuff on it.
12: That's the same stuff I've seen all around the Whiteley Place after it was blowed up.
3: Sure stinks.
8: Any idea what it is? I wouldn't touch it if I was you. Why do you reckon such a thing would come up here? I wouldn't ask questions like that. Neither. What's he mean by that?
3: God only knows.
5: He's a Waitley himself. Of course, from the undecayed side of the family.
0: Darkness fell upon a stricken countryside too passive to organize for real defense. When night came again, families would watch in the gloom with a futile gesture of loading muskets and setting pitchforks handily about. On Thursday night, the whippoorwills in the Glen had screamed with such unusual persistence that many could not sleep. And about 3 a.m., all the party telephones rang. Hello? hello?
12: Dear sweet Jesus!
8: Elma? Elma, is that you? What's happening? No! Oh, my God! Elmer! Are you there? Can you hear me? Mamie, something's happened up at the Fry's. I've got to go see if they're all right.
10: Earl Sawyer, you're not going up there in the
8: dark. I'll, I'll call some of the other men. We'll go together at sunup with, with guns. It's been here. Look at the prints, they're everywhere. Come on,
14: men, hurry!
8: My God.
14: I don't understand. What happened to the house?
3: It's crushed. Flat as a flounder.
14: But where are the
12: people?
0: Yeah. Let's see if we can find them. Amongst the ruins, nothing, living or dead, could be discovered. Only a stench and a tarry stickiness. The Fry family had been erased from Dunwich. Meanwhile, behind the closed door of a shelf-lined room in Arkham, a quieter phase of the horror had been blackly unwinding itself. Police investigating the remains of the Whateley house after Wilbur's death had found, among the many cryptic books, a manuscript in strange characters written in a huge ledger. It was a baffling puzzle to all who saw it. It had been delivered to Miskatonic University for study and possible translation by experts in languages both ancient and modern, its very alphabet being unknown to any available authority. The final conclusion of the linguists was that the text represented an artificial alphabet or cipher, though none of the usual methods of cryptographic solution seemed to be able to furnish any clue. The ancient books taken from Whateley's quarters, while absorbingly interesting, were of no assistance whatever in this matter. The old ledger was at length given wholly into the charge of Dr. Armitage, both because of his peculiar interest in the Whateley matter, and because of his wide linguistic learning and skill in the mystical formulae of antiquity in the Middle Ages. Armitage had an idea that the alphabet might have originated with forbidden cults in ancient times and was now being used as a cipher in a modern language. Considering the great amount of text involved, he assumed the writer would scarcely have wished the trouble of using another language than his own, save perhaps in certain special formulae and incantations. Accordingly, he attacked the manuscript with the preliminary assumption that the bulk of it was in English. The riddle was a deep and complex one. All through late August he drew upon the fullest resources of his own library, wading night after night amidst the arcana of Tristhemius's Polygraphia, Giambattista Porta's De Fertivis Literarium Notis, and others. The older authorities seemed rather more helpful than the newer ones, and Armitage concluded that the code of the manuscript was one of great antiquity, no doubt handed down through a long line of mystical experimenters. Several times he seemed near daylight, only to be set back by some unforeseen obstacle. Then, as September approached, the clouds began to clear. On the evening of September 2nd, the last major barrier gave way. Henry,
8: you look exhausted. Still working on the Waitley code. I was right, Warren.
13: It was an occult cipher, but the text is in English. Oh, what did he write? It's Wilbur Waitley's diary. The first entry is November 26, 1916. Hmm, what does it say? Today learned from the Aklo for the Sabiath, which did not like it being answerable from the hill and not from the air. That upstairs more ahead of me than I thought it would be and does not like to have much earthbrain. Shot Elam Hutchins colleague Jack when he went to bite me and Elam says he would kill me if he danced. Earthbrain? I think the world's better off with Wakely dead. Warren, this was written by a child of three and a half who looked like a lad of twelve or thirteen.
8: Well, I'm going home. Don't stay here all night, Henry.
13: Hmm. Good night, Warren. Well, now let's see. What does it say here? Hmm. Grandfather kept me saying the Dow formula last night, and I think I saw the inner city at the two magnetic poles. I shall go to those poles when the Earth is cleared off. If I can't break through with the Dow formula when I commit it. They from the air told me at Sabat that it will be years before I can clear off the earth and I guess grandfather will be dead then so I shall have to learn all the angles of the planes and all the formulas between the ear and the Nagar. They from the outside will help but they cannot take body without human blood. That upstairs looks it will have the right cast I can see it a little when I make the vorish sign or blow the powder of Ibn Ghazi at it. And it is near like them at May Eve on the hill. The other face may wear off some. I wonder how I shall look when the earth is cleared and there are no earth beings on it. It that came with the Sabiath said I may be transfigured there, being much of outside to work on morning found Dr. Armitage in a cold sweat of terror and a frenzy of
0: wakeful concentration. He had not left the manuscript all night, but sat at his table under the electric light, turning page after page with shaking hands as fast as he could decipher the cryptic text. All that day he read on, now and then, halted maddeningly as a reapplication of the complex key became necessary. Toward the middle of the next night he drowsed off in his chair, but soon woke out of a tangle of nightmares almost as hideous as the truths and menaces to man's existence that he had uncovered.
8: Henry, are you in there? Go away. Henry, it's me, Morgan, and Professor Rice. Open the
13: door. Henry, you look horrible. How long have you been in here, man? I need more time. It's the Waitley Diary. It's more dreadful than I could have imagined. Henry, you need to go home and get some sleep. No! You don't understand what
8: this
14: means. We have to know what... what it says, all of it. Now, if you'll excuse me...
0: That evening, Armitage went to bed, but slept only fitfully. Wednesday, the next day, he was back at the manuscript and began to take copious notes, both from the current sections and from those he had already deciphered. Sometime before noon, his physician
13: called to see him.
6: Henry, you have to stop this.
13: Marion's worried sick. Dr. Hartwell, if it wasn't important, I would. Believe me.
6: Henry, I'm afraid I have to insist. You're working yourself right into the grave. Do I need to give you a sedative?
13: I promise I can explain all once I'm done. It's vital that I finish reading this manuscript as quickly as possible. It's killing you. I know.
0: That evening, just as twilight fell, he finished his terrible perusal and sank back, exhausted.
4: Henry, I brought you your supper. Henry! Oh, Oh, Henry, here, let me move these.
14: No, no, no. You mustn't,
4: mustn't see. Henry, you need to lie down. Uh, Prudence, call for Dr. Hartwell. Your father's collapsed. Henry, can you hear me? Let's get you to bed.
13: What in God's name can we do? Dr. Armitage slept, but was partly delirious the next day.
14: Uh, Marion, I I need a conference with Rice and Morgan immediately. The thing inside has to be destroyed. We can't let it get out. Great old ones extirpating mankind, animals, plants, all life on Earth. It's not the same in their dimension. Don't you understand? Hell, the thing was to strip it and away from the solar system and cosmos of matter into the plane, the the phase of entity from which it had once fallen by gentillions of eons ago. Bring me the Necronomicon. No, not the Latin, the Greek. The Waitley's meant to let them in, and the worst of all is left. Tell Rice and Morgan we must do something. It's a blind business, but... I know how to make the powder. It hasn't been fed since the 2nd of August, when Wilbur came here, died here. But Armitage had a
0: sound physique despite his seventy-three years, and slept off his disorder that night. He woke late Friday, clear of head, though sober with a gnawing fear and tremendous sense of responsibility. Saturday afternoon he felt able to go over to the library and summon Rice and Morgan for a conference and the rest of that day and evening with the three men tortured their brains in the wildest speculation and the most desperate debate. Strange and terrible books were drawn voluminously from the stack shelves and from secure places of storage, and diagrams and formulae were copied with feverish haste and in bewildering abundance. Of skepticism, there was none. All three had seen the body of Wilbur Whateley as it lay on the floor of a room in that very building, and after that not one of them could feel even slightly inclined to treat the diary as a madman's raving. Do
8: we call the Massachusetts State Police? Uh, Good question. And what would you tell them? Well, I mean, people are in danger. We just tell them. Anyone who didn't see Webber-Whateley's body on the floor of this very building will never believe us. Uh, I wouldn't believe
13: it if I hadn't seen it. We need to prepare ourselves and take a trip to Dunwich and confront it. Uh, What can we do? What choice do we have? All day Sunday, Armitage was busy
0: comparing formulae and mixing chemicals obtained from the college laboratory. The more he reflected on the hellish diary, the more he was inclined to doubt the efficacy of any material agent in stamping out the entity which Wilbur Waitley had left behind him. The earth-threatening entity which, unknown to him, was to burst forth in a few hours and become the memorable Dunwich Horror. Armitage continued his experiments Monday, for the task in hand required an infinity of research and experiment. By Tuesday he had a definite line of action mapped out. Then, on Wednesday, the great shock came. I guess, for the rest,
8: we'll have to see what happens when we get there. When do we leave? Within a week. Maybe
13: Tuesday? Henry Warren! What is it, Frank? Have you seen today's paper? Look here, page nine. Seems the bootleg whiskey of Dunwich has raised up a record-breaking monster. A renegade still exploded, destroying the abandoned Waitley farmhouse. The bootleggers haven't been caught, but their latest batch of moonshine was reduced to a sticky mess in the explosion. The waitlist never had a moonshine still. It must
8: be... Good Lord,
0: it's out. It's on the loose. It's begun. We have to prepare to leave at once. Armitage knew he would be meddling with terrible powers, yet saw that there was no other way to annul the deeper and more malign meddling, which others had done before him. Friday morning... Armitage, Rice, and Morgan set out by motor for Dunwich. The day was pleasant, but even in the brightest sunlight, a kind of quiet dread and portent seemed to hover about the strangely domed hills and the deep, shadowy ravines of the stricken region. Now and then, on some mountain top, a gaunt circle of stones could be glimpsed against the sky. They soon found themselves at the center of information, Osborne's General Store.
4: The hills were talking again last night, and when the men got to the Fries, there was nothing left at all. The house was smashed flat, and there was no trace of the family, not even the dogs.
5: The same sticky stuff Chauncey seen at Waitley's was all around. I was there. I seen it. And you saw these impressions in the ground. They're large and deep? Yup. We've all seen the prints. They lead from the glen straight up to Sentinel Hill and back. Another set led out of the glen straight up to the Fries.
4: The police are up there now. The police?
5: A group of state police from Aylesbury heard what happened at the Fry Place and came out today to have a look. They may still be up there. Henry,
13: we should go. Right down.
5: Thank you both.
8: It should just be up around this bit. Oh, well, it looks like some of the local fellas up there.
13: Help you? I'm Dr. Armitage from Miskatonic University. We're looking into the troubles up at the Fry Place. This ain't no place for tourists. You should go on back home. Zeb, I assure you, sir, we're not here to see the destruction. We know what's really happened here. We know about the. Weeklies. They told us the state police came up to have a look. Aye. Are,
8: are
12: they still around? There are autos parked down yonder by the Fry Place, but I ain't seen them. Sam, have you seen those policemen about? God. I tell them not to go
11: down into the glen. And I never thought nobody'd do it with them tracks. And that smell. And the whippoorwills are screeching down there in the dark of noonday.
13: Whippoorwills? The Go and perambulums into
11: Oh, What's he saying?
13: He's
8: getting ready. Just what are you fixing to do?
3: Something that comes from beyond this world can only be fought with forces from beyond this world.
8: That looks like bug sprayer. That an electric flashlight? It'll be dark before too long. That is one big rifle you got there, sir. It's a 577
3: Nitro Express made to take down an elephant In a single shot.
12: Reckon a gun like that'll take down something like this thing? No, but
13: it makes him feel better.
12: What exactly is this thing, Professor?
13: It's... hard to say. Well, what are you gonna do? We'll wait here... and see if it comes out of the glen. And then... confront it.
3: It's getting dark. We'd best be going on home.
12: You be careful, professors. You too. Don't reckon we'll ever see them again. How are they gonna fight something nobody can even see? Uh, Let
0: them do what they want. Let's get ourselves home and lock up.
11: What good's that do when it can smash the whole damn house?
0: There were rumblings under the hills that night, and the whippoorwills piped threateningly. Once in a while a wind sweeping up out of Cold Spring Glen would bring a touch of ineffable fetter to the heavy night air such a fetter as all three of the Watchers had smelled once before when they stood above a dying thing in the Orne Library. But the looked-for terror did not appear. Whatever was down there in the Glen was biding its time. Morning came wanly. It was a grey, bleak day with a drizzle of rain. The men from Arkham sought shelter from the rainfall beneath one of the few remaining structures of the Fry Farm. We should go down in the
13: glen after it now, while we have light, before the weather gets any worse. I don't know. What do you think, Henry? Uh, it's going to come out again, I'm sure of it. The sky's getting darker. Well, we can wait a while. There they are! Oh, my God.
14: My God.
11: It's going again. And this time it's bad day. It's out. It's out in a moving. this very minute, and only the Lord knows when it will be on us all. Tell us everything. Not on an hour ago, Zeb Waitley
12: here heard the phone ringing, and it was Mrs. Corey, George's wife. She says the hired boy Luther was out driving the cows from the storm after the big bolt. He see all the trees abending at the mouth of the glen, opposite side to this, and smelled the same awful smell. And she says, he says that there was a swishing, lapping sound more than what the bending trees and bushes could make. And all of a sudden, the trees along the road began to get pushed one side. And there was an awful stomping and splashing in the mud. What did he see? He didn't see nothing at all. Only just the, the bending trees and underbrush. But then ahead, where the brook goes under the road, he heard an awful creaking and straining in the bridge, like a wood starting to crack and split. And all the whiles, he never see a thing. Only them trees and bushes are bending And when the swishing sound went off uh, on the road towards Wizard Waitley's and and Sentinel Hill, Luther looked where he'd heard it first. It, It was all mud and water, and the sky was dark, but beginning at the Glenmouth, where the trees had moved,
11: it was still some of them awful prints, big as barrels like he'd seen Monday. But that ain't the trouble now. That was only the start. Zeb here was calling folks up, and everybody was listening when a call from Silas Bishops cut in. His housekeeper, Sally, was carrying on fit to kill. she just seen the trees bending beside the road and says there was kind of mushy sound, like an elephant pushing and treading ahead for the house. Then she up and spoke suddenly of a fearful smell and says her boy Chauncey was a-screamin' as to mm-hmm. how it was just like what he smelled up to the Waitleys' ruins Monday morning. Mm-hmm. And the dogs was barking and whinin' awful. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, i saw so oh, said, what happened? <laughs> and then she just let out a terrible yell. And she said the shed down the road just caved in like the storm bed bloated over. Only the wind wasn't strong enough to do that. Everybody was listening, and we could hear lots of folks on the wire gasping. All at once, Sally yelled again and says the front yard picket fence just crumbled up. Though there wasn't no sign of what done it. And then everybody on the line could hear Chauncey and old Salas Bishop yelling too and Sally was shrieking out that something heavy struck the house and kept it launching itself again and again, though you, you couldn't see nothing.
13: Go on. That's right.
11: And then Sally, she yelled out, help the house is caving in. And on the wire we could hear a terrible crash and a flock of screaming. Just like when Elmer Fras place was took, only worse!
8: And that's all. Not a sound or squeak over the phone after that, just still, like... We that heard it got our fards and wagons and rounded up as many able-bodied men folks as we could get at Corey's place and, and come up here to see what you thought best to do. Not but what I think, it's the Lord's judgment for our iniquities. That's
13: right, Lord, sir. We must follow it, boys. I believe there's a chance of putting it out of business. Now, you men know that those Waitleys were wizards. Well, this thing is a thing of wizardry, and must be put down by the same means. I've seen Wilbur Waitley's diary and read some of the strange old books he used to read. I think I know the right kind of spell to recite to make this thing fade away. Of course, one can't be sure, but we can always take a chance. It's invisible, I knew it would be. But there's powder in Professor Rice's long-distance sprayer that might make it show up for a second. Later on, we'll try it. It's a frightful thing to have alive. But it isn't as bad as what Wilbur would have let in if he had lived longer. He'll never know what the world escaped. Now we've only this one thing to fight. And it can't multiply. We must follow it. Can somebody lead the way to the place that has just been wrecked? <clears throat> I don't know your roads very well, but there's got to be a shortcut over there.
8: How about it? I guess you can get to Silas Bishop's quickest by cutting across the lower meadow here. Wading the brook at the low place and climbing through Carrier's Field and a bit of forest beyond. That comes out on the upper road, mighty near Bishops, a little to the other side.
13: Professors, shall we?
0: Armitage, with Rice and Morgan, started to walk in the direction indicated, and most of the natives followed slowly. The sky was growing lighter, and there were signs that the storm had worn itself away. Courage and confidence were mounting though the steep wooded hill which lay towards the end of their shortcut put these qualities to a severe test. At length they emerged on a muddy road to find the sun coming out. They were a little beyond the Silas Bishop place, but bent trees and hideously unmistakable tracks showed what had passed by. Only a few moments were consumed in surveying the ruins of the Bishop farm. It was the Fry incident all over again, and nothing, dead or living, was found in either of the collapsed shells which had been the house and barn. No one cared to remain there amidst the stench and tarry stickiness, but all turned instinctively to the line of horrible prints, leading on towards the wrecked Whateley farmhouse and the altar-crowned slopes of Sentinel Hill. As the men passed the site of Wilbur Whateley's abode, they shuddered visibly, and many of the Dunwich men fell back. Opposite the base of Sentinel Hill, the tracks left the road, and there was a fresh bending and matting visible along the broad swath marking the monster's former route to and from the summit. Armitage produced a pocket telescope of considerable power and scanned the steep green side of the hill.
13: See anything, Henry? Hmm? Your eyes are keener than mine. Take a look. It's there, all right. Reckon I can take
8: a gander? Sure, here you are. Just pull here to adjust the focus. I don't see nothing. See the three big rocks? Look above it to your God almighty, the grass and bushes is a-moving. It's a-going up. Slow-like, creeping up to the top. Oh, God! Oh, God. No, what's he right. gonna
14: do? This,
12: this is madness! down! This is madness, we can't hunt something you can't even see! Your brother's here, oh, now
14: what? Spring. You men stay here! It's
13: crazy. It's crazy. Professors Rice, Morgan and I are going up that hill.
14: What are we supposed to do?
13: Pray.
0: In the end, the three men from Arkham, old, white-bearded Dr. Armitage, Stocky, iron gray Professor Rice and lean, youngish Dr. Morgan ascended the mountain alone. They left the telescope with the frightened group that remained in the road, and as they climbed, they were watched closely by those among whom the glass was passed round. It was hard going, and Armitage had to be helped more than once. High above the toiling group, the great swath trembled as its hellish maker repassed with snail-like deliberateness. The pursuers were gaining, watched by the men below. They're changing
1: course. You can see. Looks like the professors are gonna go round it, onto that wee peak there to the right. I think they're trying to get above it. Give me
7: that spyglass! That huh. one fellow's got the sprayer. It looks like Armitage is adjusting
12: it. I think they're getting ready to do something. The sprayer's got stuff to make it visible! Oh God. God. No, that's what they said!
0: Those without the telescope saw only an instant's flash of gray cloud, a cloud about the size of a moderately large building near the top of the mountain.
11: Ah! Look out! Curtis stopped the spyglass in the mud! Find it quick! Hold on there, Curtis! Ooh, ooh, ooh. Catch him! He's gonna faint!
1: Oh, oh, great God! That. That. You absolutely. You actually saw it, How big is it? What would it look like? Bigger than a barn! All made of squirming ropes? Whole thing sort of shaped like a hen's egg, bigger than anything, with dozens of legs like hogsheads that half shut up when they step. Nothing solid about it. All like jelly and made of separate wriggling ropes pushed close together. Great bulging eyes all over it. Ten or twenty mouths or trunks are sticking out all along the sides. Big as stovepipes and all are tossing and opening and shutting. All gray with kind of blue or purple rings. And God in heaven, that half face on top. Oh, oh. Curse! Oh, he's being dead away! Oh, in here, oh, paint, we have more
8: more. down oh, on the grass.
7: Oh, I found the telescope. Oh, let me just wipe it off. <gasps> I can see him. All three of them are running towards the summit.
8: Yeah, let me see. Yep. all three of them are up on the top ridge. About even with the altar stone. One of them's raising his hands up above his head. Let me see again. Oh, I guess he's saying the spell. Is it just me, or is it suddenly getting darker?
7: It is darker, but the clouds is busting up. Quiet!
0: A rumbling sound seemed brewing beneath the hills, mixed strangely with a concordant rumbling which clearly came from the sky.
7: Yeah, all three of them is chanting now. They all are putting their arms up and down together.
0: The change in the quality of the daylight increased, and the crowd gazed about the horizon in wonder. A purplish darkness, born of nothing more than a spectral deepening of the sky's blue, pressed down upon the rumbling hills. Then the lightning flashed again, somewhat brighter than before, and the crowd fancied that it had showed a certain mistiness around the altar stone on the distant height. The men of Dunwich braced themselves tensely against some imponderable menace with which the atmosphere seemed surcharged. Do you hear that?
11: Sounds like something's talking. It's that... thing.
0: The speaking impulse of the bizarre sound seemed to falter here as if some frightful psychic struggle were going on. Henry Wheeler strained his eye at the telescope, but saw only the three grotesquely silhouetted human figures on the peak, all moving their arms furiously in strange gestures as their incantation drew near its culmination. From what black wells of acharontic fear or feeling, from what unplumbed gulfs of extra cosmic consciousness or obscure, long latent heredity were those half articulate thunder croakings drawn. Presently they began to gather renewed force and coherence as they grew in stark, utter, ultimate frenzy. But that was all. The pallid group in the road, still reeling at the indisputably English syllables that had poured thickly and thunderously down from the frantic vacancy beside that shocking altar stone, were never to hear such syllables again. Instead they jumped violently at the terrific report which seemed to rend the hills, the deafening cataclysmic peal whose source, be it in earth or sky, no hearer was ever able to place. A single lightning bolt shot from the purple zenith to the altar stone, and a great tidal wave of viewless force and indescribable stench swept down from the hill to all the countryside. Trees, grass, and underbrush were whipped into a fury, and the frightened crowd at the mountain's base, weakened by the lethal fetter that seemed about to asphyxiate them, were almost hurled off their feet. Green grass and foliage wilted to a curious sickly yellow gray, and over field and forest were scattered the bodies of dead whippoorwills. The stench left quickly, but the vegetation never came right again. To this day there is something queer and unholy about the growths on and around that fearsome hill. Curtis Wheatley was only just regaining consciousness when the Arkham men came slowly down the mountain in the beams of a sunlight once more brilliant and untainted. They were grave and quiet and seemed shaken by memories and reflections even more terrible than those which had reduced the group of locals to a state of coward quivering. Oh, Curtis! Look,
1: man, he's waking up. Dr. Amadich? Is it.
14: The thing. has gone forever. It has been split up into what it was originally made of.
13: and can never exist again. It was an impossibility in a normal world. Only the least fraction was really matter in any sense we know. It was like its father. Most of it has gone back to him in some vague realm or dimension outside our material universe. Some vague abyss out of which only the most accursed rites of human blasphemy could ever have called him for a moment on the hills.
1: Oh. Oh, my God. That half-face. That half-face on top of it. That face with the red eyes and crinkly albino hair and no chin like the waitleys. It was a octopus, centipede, spider kind of thing but there was a half-shaped man's face on top of it then it looked like wizard waitley's only it was yards and yards across fifteen
3: year gone i heard old wizard waitley say as how someday we'd hear a child of lavinia's a calling its father's name on the top of sentinel hill
5: what was it anyhow and however did young wizard waitley call it out of
13: the air it come from It was, well, it was mostly a kind of force that doesn't belong in our part of space. A kind of force that acts and grows and shapes itself by other laws than those of our sort of nature. We have no business calling in such things from outside. And only very wicked people and very wicked cults ever try to. There was some of it in Wilbur Waitley himself. Enough to make a devil and a precocious monster of him. And to make his passing out a pretty terrible sight. I'm going to burn his accursed diary and if you men are wise you'll dynamite that altar stone up there and pull down all the rings of standing stones on the other hills. Things like that brought down the beings those Waitleys were so fond of. The beings they were going to let intangibly to wipe out the human race and drag the earth off to some nameless place for some nameless purpose. But as to this thing we've just sent back... The Waitleaders raised it for a terrible part in the doings that were to come. It grew fast and big for the same reason that Wilbur grew fast and big. But it beat him because it had a greater share of the outsideness in it. You needn't ask how Wilbur called it out of the air. He didn't call it out. It was his twin brother, but it looked more like the father than he did.
2: You've been listening to H.P. Lovecraft's The Dunwich Horror, brought to you by our sponsor, Flor de lee the cigarette made from costlier tobacco. Flor de lee for the sake of digestion. Until next week, this is Chester Langfield reminding you to never go anywhere alone. If it looks bad, don't look, and save the last bullet for yourself.
1: The Dunwich Horror was adapted for radio and produced by Sean Branny and Andrew Lehman. Original music by Troy Sterling-Neese. The Dark Adventure Ensemble featured Leslie Baldwin, Gary Ballard, Aiden Branny, Sean Branny, Casey Camp, Mark Coulson, David Q. Combs, Seth Compton, Steve Coombs, Casey Kramer, Andrew Lehman, Barry Lynch, John A. McKenna, David Paveo, Josh Temke, Daryl Touchton, and Noah Wagner. Tune in next week for Some Words with a Mummy, A Startling Tale by Edgar Allan Poe, Dark Adventure Radio Theater is a production of the HBLHS Broadcasting Group, a subsidiary of HPLHS Incorporated, copyright 1931, plus 77.